It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Barry Ross, and this is The Big Rethink. In today's episode, we talk about NFTs and their value to ad agencies and brands alike. Our guest, Jason Keith, co-founder of Social Fresh and So Fresh Labs. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you, Barry. I'm excited to talk about some of these new technologies and uh, join you on the show today. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm, I'm also kind of happy, uh, even though uh, my editor will probably uh, say something later. I can actually pronounce your last name without any trouble. So uh, happy there. So uh, let's just jump to it. Uh, what kind of agency is SoFresh Labs and how do NFTs factor into your range of client services? Yeah, so SoFresh Labs is born out of Social Fresh, our legacy agency and conference that focuses on social media and media production, content marketing. Um, we, we saw maybe three years ago, we had a lot of questions about NFTs, a lot of questions about the blockchain uh, from our clients, from our conference attendees. So we, we spun off. It was so different and so unique. We felt we needed a, a external vehicle to really focus on it. Um, so we uh, spun out SoFresh Labs. SoFresh Labs is a Web3 full-service agency. Uh, so we do everything from startups in the Web3 space, helping them go to market, helping them market PR, SEO, et cetera, uh, to legacy enterprise brands, kind of Web2 brands, bringing them into the Web3 space. Uh, helping them launch NFT projects, uh, blockchain infrastructure projects, um, tokens, et cetera, et cetera. So anything Web3 uh, that's possible, we have a deep bench of kind of creative and engineer and go-to-market talent. So that's kind of exciting because it seems like I came out of like a, a market need, a customer need. Yeah, very much. I mean, I was personally interested in it. You know, I'm always trying to, you know, just like you, I'm always trying to understand and, and look around the corner of what's coming next. Uh, but I didn't really foresee, you know, our client base having that need as quickly as they kind of brought it to us. So it was very much an inbound request that we leaned into heavily and, and were already personally interested in. So it was kind of an easy decision. Yeah, I love it. Uh, anything that's a market pull uh, and it's customer based feedback, it's huge, especially in, in, in our line of work. But, you know, for me, and this is probably definitely uh, uh, for my education, I'm sure my uh, our, our listeners are going to give the eye roll. Uh, I want to do kind of a quick quiz, like a quick true and false, almost on a refresher of you know, NTF basics. And I, I know you're gonna you're gonna give me an eye roll as well, but let's just kind of hit it. So NFTs are unique digital identifiers that can't be copied. True or false? True. NFTs are used to certify authenticity and ownership. Yes, true. Although it does not have to be used that way. Oh, okay. Good. I'm learning something already. NFTs can be sold, traded, and shared. Yes, true. Although you also don't have to do that. There's something called soulbound NFTs that can't be traded, can't be sold, can't be shared, that are more just pure identifiers. Think of like a college degree or driver's license, things like that. Okay, okay. I, I know I'm going to get uh, another qualified answer on this one. Uh, NFTs are digital files. Could be photos, videos, audio? I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good breakdown of it, but there's a lot of nuance beyond that if you want to play in the space for sure. Am I missing any other type of digital content though? No. I mean, I think, you know, dynamic NFTs, uh, multimedia, um, NFTs as just pure data or location or 
traits, kind of just pieces of information. Last one, NFTs differ from cryptocurrencies. Yes. So it's the whole fungible word, right? So most uh, cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, Bitcoin, they are fungible, meaning uh, you know, a dollar equals a dollar. It doesn't really matter what dollar you have. They're the same value. They're the same value of exchange. Um, an NFT is a non-fungible token, meaning it's unique. Uh, unique would be a better word, unique token. So um, basically that first question or second question you had, of is there a unique, unique identifier? There is. For Bitcoin, Ethereum, there isn't. So that's the main difference. Okay. Did I miss any questions? Anything kind of overview that we should know? I mean, o- overall, I think, you know, the public um, impression of NFTs is like big cartoon profile photo images, board apes and crypto punks and these things that are overpriced and overspeculated. And there's certainly truth to that. And it, um, that's maybe the biggest use case that's out there in the world today and the biggest uh, volume of, of, of funds and transactions around NFTs. But I, I would say what I think is coming in the future, I think that could go on forever. I mean, music could come along with it. There's all kinds of things in culture that are going to be represented in NFTs for a while. Um, but I think the bigger, most interesting things for a lot of businesses is NFTs as infrastructure, as loyalty tokens, as receipts, as tickets to an event, uh, you know, things that are more purposeful um, that could also be represented as art in different ways, but don't have to be. Um, so I would, you know, anybody that's new to NFTs or has maybe a surface level impression of them, I would just caution them to think think larger about the topic and and when it comes time to integrate it, you know, have those have those ideas in mind. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. It's probably as a full service agency, and when your specialization, you know, in this kind of platform, I'm sure you do a lot of education. Um, and so, let me just go back a bit and ask you about like, okay. So you guys build Web3 solutions that essentially help brands kind of stand out on the blockchain. So I'm going to pull back and ask, so what is Web.3 and how does it, what does it have to do with the blockchain, right? Like how the two interconnected? Yeah, I mean, honestly, they're probably pretty interchangeable. Uh, Blockchain is a much older term. Blockchain is the actual technology that references essentially a large ledger or a large, you know, Excel or Google spreadsheet, just a new way of storing data um, that's publicly accessible, that's interoperable, um, easier to build on, um, <clears throat> more transparent, et cetera. Um, Web3, I think, maybe broadens the use cases that have come out of the blockchain. We're talking about you know, NFTs, for instance, which we've focused on a little bit today already, but also automatic financial um, software, uh, which is referred to as decentralized finance or DeFi. Um, there's a lot of different use cases coming out of the blockchain, uh, a lot of infrastructure opportunities, um, and Web3 tries to enca- in, uh, encapsulate all of those use cases, but also um, some of the kind of fundamental beliefs in the system, things like transparency, interoperability, um, I think uh, a shared value around um, aligned incentives, you know, having people be able to ac- access the financial world more easily um, and, and fewer gatekeepers. Um, having you know exchange of goods be something that's um, that's a more fair uh, operation online than it has been in the past, and make it easier and less fees and uh, quicker. So I think it's it's both the the actual real world examples of how the blockchain comes into the world, but also some of the belief system as well. Yeah, I like that. I mean, the, the, the term that we use on our side is more equitable access. I guess. Yeah, I love that. And so is that one of the things that kind of drew to, you know, blockchain, 
in general, from a personal perspective, we were just like, wow, this is going to be big. This is something I want to get ahead of. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think digital money, you know, when Bitcoin came along, when Ethereum came along, the fact that, that someone was building digital money, especially Bitcoin, it's, it's a very fascinating. Someone built it. We don't know who. And it's going to exist forever, whether we hate it or, you know, the U.S. could make it illegal. China could make it illegal, but it'll still be out there and accessible forever uh, for better or worse. So that invention out into the world of something that unique was was pretty special concept when I first heard of it and definitely captured my imagination. Um, and I think secondarily, NFTs did a similar thing. Just you know, seeing digital art um, finally have some type of value on the Internet that is um, you know, something that also will never go away um, is, is a pretty special experience as well. So I think these – and there's been several of these types of inventions. There's some DeFi versions of this as well that I think are really fascinating. Um, so people are just building new stuff in a very new way, and that doesn't come along, you know, every couple of years. It's usually, you know, every decade or two occurrence. So I think this is the, the next version of that. NFTs, we've talked about blockchain, uh, you know, did the whole true or false. And so from an ind- industry perspective, like this larger take, what are the trains are you seeing, you know, with NFTs or blockchain for enterprises and brands, right? Essentially your customer base. Yeah, I think we've transitioned away from what was probably an NFT money grab. <clears throat> you had a, you had a lot of brands, whether it's Playboy or um, whether it's Adidas or Nike, um, and a lot of the startups that are native to the space uh, make quite a bit of money off these NFT launches. A lot of them were 10,000 piece collections of profile photo art or more. Um, I mean, Playboy, for instance, I believe made $12 million off of their launch into the space. Um, there have been some that are a few that are a little bigger than that. But today, in a much choppier and what we would call a bear market in Web3 and a bear market in the macro space really coming to fruition, um, that type of speculation is, is much lower, much less of the focus. And I think you see a lot more innovation. You see a lot more on the enterprise side of, of brands building more community-focused projects, more collaborative, um, more, um, you know, let's actually build an active community of either users or fans of our brand. Um, Porsche recently um, had a big project launch. I think uh, um, Lacoste has done a really good job of building, uh, you know, a 7,000 person community roughly of NFT buyers and, and community members. So I think you're seeing a lot more experimentation in the audience side and less of a focus on let's launch something as a revenue um, angle. I think that's important, especially when you're kind of at the front end of, you know, any new technology where people are exploring, ideating about what success looks like. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the podcast about, you know, what does success look like? Because to me, I've got a product background and I just want money, right? <laughs> that's one of the big KPIs. But I think you, you, I mean, you're talking about other things, I think. So maybe we can do a quick comparison between what you're seeing or saw in Playboy versus another, um, you know, um, campaign. But let's talk a little bit about like, so if, if I'm running a campaign, one of your, your customers are running an ad campaign, what does success look like using NFTs just based on what we just talked about? Yeah, I mean, about? the metrics are probably engagement metrics today. Um, it's activity. You know, like if you're creating an NFT, are people buying and selling it? Are they trading it? Um, If you're creating an NFT that gives people access to a community or access to merch or access to events, are people actually engaging in those opportunities? Are people going to the events? Are people buying the merch? Um, Are people 
um, communicating with each other in the com- in the dedicated community you've set up? Um, are you actually building engagement? Are these um, community members more likely to buy your goods or more likely to espouse the brand and spread via word of mouth? Um, it, you know, there's tons of different activity um, engagement metrics you could go in. Um, but I do think you're building essentially today where the trends are, you're building essentially a core group of super fans, highly engaged people that can become better, um, you know, better representatives, better acolytes of your brand. Mm. So essentially building, bringing it back from a marketing perspective, maybe a community based approach, right? Maybe like active users, subscribers, hits, likes. And we've seen brands try to build communities over the past 15 years. Um, and, a lot of failures. I mean, it's very difficult. It's very, um, uh, it's very kind of human hour intensive to build an active community that benefits your brand. I mean, there's some brands that are just have rabid fans that are exceptions to that, like a, like a Peloton, but the, what, what's interesting in, in web three is it aligns the incentives better. There are even, even if it's just a sense of the community members that they have an ownership, they have like a real token with real benefits, um, that's kind of semi-permanent or permanent. Um, that just creates a better conversation at the beginning of this that that might make it easier for a brand to engage these audiences or, or engage new audiences. Um, so, I, I mean, I would caution people to think Web3 is a cure-all for brands, communities, um, but it is a new way to think about it. And I think it's a new way to think about, in the same way that social media was a new way to think about transparency and communication, I think Web3 is a new way to think about um, incentive alignment. I think that uh, I should have been, I should have opened uh, with that kind of question at the beginning of the, the, the podcast that kind of boils it all down. So one of the things I, I noticed and I liked about uh, your agency is its tagline. You know, your tagline is building brands on chain. So what does that mean to potential new clients? I mean, what does it mean to you? Yeah, so on chain is on the blockchain. It is... Um, more permanent, more transparent, more interoperable. So like a good example to think about is creating either loyalty systems um, or some type of record of account for your customers, fans, audience. Um, if you create a loyalty system today, it's it's a black box. Like it's, you know, uh, most, most people don't know how it works. They don't really, all they understand is they buy something, they get a few points, they buy enough things, they get more points and they get something free. That's typically most loyalty systems today. And it's, it's only working with that brand unless it's maybe something like a credit card that tries to create more of a marketplace uh, for their point systems. Um, imagine that credit card marketplace where you log into your Amex or your Chase card and you can, you know, you can get different rewards for dip spending at different vendors. You can get different rewards uh, for the points that you get. That's what the blockchain does automatically. So if you create a loyalty system on the blockchain, anyone can build off of it. Um, anyone can offer rewards to your customers because that data is out there public and transparent and and available. Anyone can also uh, tap into the front of that loyalty system and and work with that community to help them get rewards by participating in it in different ways. So it it creates both an easier platform to build on for the brand and everybody um, participating and also creates more um, interoperability and partnership opportunity. Um, So that's just one example of how um the technology kind of opens up you know more secure more interoperable more transparent opportunities for people to build things together so so blockchain could be an enabler 
of a, a loyalty program. Yeah, it is. I mean, Starbucks has already yeah. built kind of a second tier of their loyalty program that's in beta right now. I've toyed around with. Um, there's people that have sold those NFTs for you know five ten thousand dollars already for the most valuable ones. Wow. Um, that's not really why they're doing it. It's more of a better engagement opportunity, um, and that's probably one of the big experiments there. I mean, we're working with a client to build just a system of receipt NFTs. So every time you buy something from their e-commerce store, your receipt is actually an NFT. It's actually creating a data layer. So essentially that is a loyalty system opportunity. Um, and you know, you could, you could use that in a lot of ways. We're also building something um, in the podcast space where every time you listen to a podcast, it can become an NFT kind of a proof of listen opportunity. Um, so that, that again is a data layer and a protocol that you can do so many things with. Um, and, you know, that's a, I, I, there's more, like, like I said, uh, you know, towards the beginning of our conversation, there's a lot of infrastructure being built here that it doesn't sound super sexy, but creates a lot of opportunity. Just like when the internet was built, just like when social media was built, we weren't really sure how things were going to be used. When people built the blockchain, they had no idea that NFTs were going to be the big onboarding tool and the big, you know, pop culture moment for it. Um, so, and we don't know what the next 10 things that are going to be built on the blockchain are, but the infrastructure to, is being built today to make it possible to make things faster and more interoperable. And I think that's great. I think you said something that really resonates with, with me and probably a lot of our listeners. You know, whatever you're building, it, whatever it's part of that platform, whether it's a software stack or whatever, hardware, maybe some of these things, you know, they don't have to be sexy, cool. They just have to work, right, and provide value to the end user. Uh, easy to forget, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, there's... Think of, think of all the inefficient business units and processes today that happen in corporate America. And, you know, if we could automate some of those things or put them onto a public ledger that, that makes it easier to work on and, and has security built in permanently forever. I mean, you can, you can, you can streamline a lot of things. You can build a lot of great solutions. Um, and 90% of that has not been touched yet. Yeah. Exciting. So, you know, speaking of, of cool kind of hip, uh, what is a swoopa? Did I pronounce that correctly? That is the correct pronunciation. It is a made-up word. Okay, made up word. good. Um, it is an NFT I designed and illustrated. I am I am a former creative director. I, I have not actively worked as a creative director until we got back into the Web3 uh, game and then started doing oh, wow. collections for clients. But um, this is one of several NFTs I've illustrated. It's for a community called Jump, which is a Web3 marketing community. Um, and... We didn't really have one of these PFP projects that people could, you know, change their profile photo to when we were talking about Web3 in like a public, uh, either on a Discord platform, community platform, or on Twitter, on a public social network. Um, so one of the other um, artists in the group had done this logo that really inspired me. And I just had this vision for essentially what is a Sky Fairy character. Um, and the community named it, the community came up with a name, the community came up with all the, you know, half the artistic traits that we ended up illustrating the community is coming up with the utility. Um, and it's really an experiment we did where we wanted to do an NFT that was just very community driven, um, and kind of left a lot of the details open to the community to develop and it's still developing today. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, we wanted to create an NFT as quickly as possible. We rolled, you know, I, I did the, I worked on the art for like six months, just, you know, on off hours occasionally on the weekend. And then once I realized I had kind of enough to help it uh, become a reality, uh, we just turned it over to the community and the community spun it out in less than 30 days completely. So it was a really fun kind of way for everybody to experiment and build together. But also cool that with your background as a creative director, you're able to do something that kind of utilize that skill and maybe 
you weren't on that side of the agency anymore. But you know, it's yeah, I've, got, I've cool. got to get my hands dirty quite a bit with NFT <laughs> art. Uh, I don't know if I'll be right. designing. I've done I've done NFT art for a few brands um, now, and I don't know if I'll keep doing that. But it's good to like, especially in a new space, it's good to get your hands dirty and understand how everything gets made before you right. kind of take yourself back to the executive la- layer. But <laughs> right. um, yeah, it's been fun. It's a fun space to play in. It's also because, you know, the work that goes into it, it's not just like, hey, you're just creating some type of caricature. There's got to be thought. There's six months worth of work there, right? And it's not just like you're writing something on a napkin and, you know, here's this, you know, image that you're going to use. Yeah, there's quite a bit that goes into it. It's actually a really unique creative challenge to work on. Um, but at the end of it, you get to press a button and, you know, your Photoshop file turns into a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand unique wow. pieces of art that that you never, each one of those yeah. you never fully conceived of, but you you built the groundwork for. In my line of work, I do a lot of stuff with my legal department lawyers. Um, really exciting. Uh, hopefully, they don't listen to this podcast. But you know, proponents of NFTs, you know, say it illustrates proof of ownership, authenticity. We just talked about that. Uh, but from a copyright IP. You know, then you, you know, legal rights can be very confusing. Uh, so as an agency, you know, how do you solve for these issues for clients? Do you? Is that part of what you do? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's, <clears throat> it reminds me a lot um, when social media started 15 years ago. Um, my partner, Nicole, launched, you know, a lot of brands into, into social media, um, one of the largest pharma brands in the world. And it took them, I think, seven months with legal just to send out the first tweet and the first Facebook post. Right. And I think there's a lot of similar stories around that. And even today, when we work with brands that are, you know, kind of re-engaging in social or, or taking it seriously for the first time, um, there's a lot of legal, I mean, we, we work with a lot of finance brands and there's just a lot of legal requirements in finance of things you can't say, things you have to document. Um, so yeah, there's, there's certainly legal challenges. There's certainly, um, a lot of copyright back and forth right now and a lot of things that have yet to go to uh, lawsuits that will you know, help define the legal scope of the industry. Um, but, you know, I think it's the same in social media. You know, there were a lot of brands who, when, when social started, either an employee or a fan or a customer would create their Facebook account, Facebook group, Twitter account. So the brand didn't even actually own a lot of these accounts and they had to either, you know, work with that person or legally go after that person. Those were kind of the two options, work with them, bring them in, um, or legally go after them, shut the account down, take it over, something like that. And we've seen both of those already. I mean, there was a great example. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not a great example, but there was an interesting example of Olive Garden. There was a, a set of Olive Garden NFTs that got created last year um, that immediately kind of took off in a meme style and were worth a fairly significant amount of money and each one of them was just a, a photo from the internet of each Olive Garden in the country. They were called non-fungible Olive Gardens, completely unrelated to the brand. The brand had nothing to do with it. Um, and eventually it got shut down as much as you can shut down NFTs um, by Olive Garden's team, by Darden, uh, sending a cease and desist to OpenSea, who blocked the, blocked the collection. You can still get the collection on other platforms. It'll always be on the blockchain as long as it's the, the art is hosted somewhere. Um, but the alternative for Darden would have been to reach out to these people who were very amenable to, you know, changing, you know, wording, to working with them, to, you know, making it more of an engagement opportunity. 
Um, and not to say that Darden's team was wrong. Maybe they just didn't have the time and scope to figure out, you know, a way to engage with them correctly or, or in a positive way. Um, but those are kind of the options, you know, you, you're going to have, you're going to have copyrights and, and IP infringement. You're going to have people that are, uh, kind of experimenting and being creative a little more loosely with, um, these elements and you're going to have opportunities to engage with that, or you're going to have to figure out how to shut those things down. If, if your brand determines that's important. That's, that's super interesting because as you said, that could have been an opportunity, right. To kind of grow your loyalty base in some form. And yet, you know, but, but of course, or at least an opportunity to experiment. Right. I mean, you know, it's, and they weren't, they weren't, you know, it wasn't a huge, I mean, they, I don't, know, I don't want to get into too much of the details of it yeah. because I, I think both sides of it have a leg to stand on Absolutely. There. But I think there's, I think it, the lesson is for brands to think about what they would do in that situation. Would they at least try to reach out and see if there's a creative way to work together? Because those are going to happen more and more. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we could spend, you know, three episodes talking about the pros and cons of, you know, that, that type of situation. But, but let's talk about another campaign, if it's okay with you. Uh, so let's talk about Porsche's campaign. You know, what was it? You know, what were kind of the successes and challenges that they saw? I mean, we talked about Playboy. Uh, you know, I just, you know, what does success look like and what did you see? Yeah, so Porsche um, launched uh, a set of NFTs that was originally going to be, I believe, 7,500 NFTs um, for 0.9. There, It's the 911 Porsche collection. You know, very iconic car made by Porsche. And the price of it was 0.911 ETH, which is fairly expensive, fairly high-end price today, especially today in a, in a down market for an NFT. Um, and they were also trying to sell 7,500 of them, which is a fairly high number of NFTs. If you follow the space, you know, 10,000 is a, is a usually kind of a ceiling on a collection size. And typically when you sell um, a bunch of NFTs, the price is going to be lower. When you sell a handful of NFTs, the price is going to be higher. You know, there's a scarcity equation there. And, Porsche was trying to kind of do both things as a luxury brand. I get that they wanted to sell it with for an expensive price and sell a lot of them. Um, and I think that was potentially their biggest mistake. They did not sell out. They had to in the, in the um, mint window or the sales window early, uh, which looks really bad. Typically um, their, their price was dropping quite a bit early on. So I think they made some communication errors. I think they um, maybe needed to experiment a little more with the way they sold the collection, which is a lot of interesting ways you can do that today. And they kind of just chose the most basic methodology. Um, but they also are—they also took ownership of it really quick. Um, they made a pivot fairly quickly. Um, they have built in a lot of really interesting um, utility for this NFT community. They're actually going to basically each NFT starts out as a as a pure white. Um, standard 911 Porsche, the art, uh, looks really clean. And then there's four or five stages of customization where you can do some really interesting artistic things with your NFT. Um, and I think the things that they did with the art, they brought in a lot of uh, partners, a lot of artists and creatives to do really unique things that you've never seen on a car, uh, things that you can't you can do with art that you can't do in the real world. Um, I think that's really creative. They're still going through that process. It's kind of over, I think, three to six months that they'll do that with the community. And then their community is going to vote and actually have one of these cars made, which will be really interesting because some of these, you know, can you even make some of these cars in the real world? We don't know, but they're going to make one of them. Um, there's opportunities. There's opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, who, who gets to own that? It'll be interesting, but the community doing that together is a really fun experiment. 
Um, and then there's a lot of events. You can make it to events that you wouldn't be able to make it to otherwise by owning these NFTs. You can drive a 911 on a on an actual um, racetrack, things like that. So they're, I think they're doing some really good things. They didn't give up. They didn't, you know, acquiesce. Uh, they didn't try to stick with something that wasn't work working. They might have made a you know a couple um, a couple mistakes early on, but I think they've come around and actually built a really cool community with a really interesting NFT collection. I think what's going to be really interesting is like in two years, you know, when we catch up, uh, you know, when we start talking about comparing the different types of campaigns and what could be considered success today for an NFT campaign versus later, right? It could be totally different. And I think that's, that's really exciting. The trends shift pretty quickly. I mean, the way native Web3 communities are establishing themselves and growing and, and either you know, either growing or not growing has shifted. I mean, I think every six months, um, the kind of um, standard practice has, has shifted quite a bit. So it, it's a really quick moving community. Um, the the terminology in the space is that Web3 is speed running a lot of things, speed running governance, the way you know, communities vote on things, speed running uh, finance, the way decentralized finance is being developed. Um, and I think they're also doing similar things with art and um, how art is valued and how artists are paid. Um, there's a ton of experimentation happening there really quickly. And I think that'll continue. It's, it's, it takes a, it takes a lot to keep up with all the, <laughs> the speed of the trends in the space. Let's talk about, I mean, any future innovations you're seeing. It doesn't have to be about NFTs or blockchain or crypto just for you from your perspective is there anything you're seeing on the agency side that's exciting you're like oh my like the way you were with nfts like years ago like this is going to be big this is really good um i'm i'm really interested to see how nfts work in the event space in the music space um i think i think receipts will actually be very interesting um when you buy something from a brand and you have a permanent record of you buying that um is there you know is there a loyalty system that spins up that is not produced by a brand, but is produced by an independent agency that just provides loyalty to people that have purchased the most ridiculous things in the world or the most luxury high end things in the world or the most, you know, sports centered, like this person we know is the biggest sports fan of the Atlanta Braves because we can just look at all these receipts they have permanently in their wallet. Um, that show us they have spent the most, they've gone to the most games, they've, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there to build really interesting things. There's, you know, a few companies building there. I think Warner Media um, is experimenting there quite a bit. Um, POAP, which is Proof of Attendance Protocol, it's an acronym, is a Web3 native startup that's been building some interesting things um, and has actually partnered with Warner a little bit. Um, I think Ticketmaster has been all over this. Um, I think they know that they could be replaced with a more equitable <laughs> technology solution uh, pretty easily. So they've been, you know, investing in and partnering with Web3 startups quite a bit um, and making sure they don't get replaced there. Uh, so I think you'll see some interesting innovations in those areas. Um, I, there's a few things we're building for clients that I'm really excited about um, that I wish I could tell more about. But just, I mean, one thing I would think about is think of like really unique experiences in the world and having kind of a permanent digital receipt of that that people would could reach out to you and give you, you know, and access you as an audience, you know, accessing audiences, you know, our, our social fresh side of the business um, 
is it's focused purely on building media platforms. Like this is a Panasonic media platform we're on today, like actually building podcast and video series and things that build audiences for brands. Cause that's a huge challenge for brands going forward is where do you find your audiences? How do you, how do you access an audience if Facebook and Apple are fighting about your ability to get to it and Google search isn't working as well as it used to. Right. Um, so we're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of kind of diffraction, a lot of, um, a lot of change in the space. And I think your ability to build and access audiences is going to become more and more important to all brands. Um, and there's different ways to attack that. But I think the openness of the blockchain um, and some of the things that are being going to be built on the blockchain are going to provide some interesting opportunities for brands to engage an audience um, and to have audience engagement in a new way. You know, Jason, I, I apologize because we're, we're, we're almost out of time and I, I learned a lot today and I wanted to thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I love talking about this stuff. So, I mean, if, if anyone ever wants to learn more about it, feel free to reach out to our team. We, we love engaging with brands and, and having these great conversations. Famous last words, man. Tell, let me tell you about it. You're going to get a hairy call at like midnight, you know, two months from now. I need a campaign free. But I appreciate it, Jason. Just just for our listeners, you know, if you enjoyed the podcast, didn't enjoy the podcast, or, you know, just have ideas to make us better, uh, visit our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. We definitely want your feedback, like always. And uh, that's it for us on another episode of The Big Rethink. Until next time, I'm Barry Ross.